Hello and welcome to the Real Real Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Sarah and Jessie. Join us weekly for an indecisive girl's guide to living your best life. So before we get into what we want to talk about today, I just want to put out a trigger warning for anybody that might find it hard to talk about things such as mental health, specifically borderline personality disorder, addiction, and abusive relationships. If those things are too hard for you to hear about, then this episode might not be for you, and that's totally okay. We will see you next week instead. Hey, you guys. Welcome back to the second episode of our new podcast. We're so excited to be able to share this time with you and to discuss some serious topics with you guys. This episode is going to be a little bit on the deep side, so that's why we did put the trigger warning in, like Sarah said previously. So what we want to talk about today, essentially, is stigma surrounding mental health disorders. To be a little bit more specific, um, BPD, which stands for Borderline Personality Disorder, will be the one that we're diving deep into. Um, We want to talk about it because of the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial and her potential diagnosis that came forward or came to light during that... um, during the whole period and the whole trial and we really want to get rid of some of the stigma that's kind of going on online right now and we want to be completely open and honest with you guys and yeah we want to share our experiences our journey and a lot of the discussion with you guys so sarah do you want to kind of just get into the trial timeline because i know that you're a little bit more familiar with it than i sure so i've been pretty obsessed with this trial Um, I'm very big into the advocacy world, which I talked about a little bit in episode one. And so this has just been very intriguing to me. Um, So I'm just going to explain like a quick timeline of their relationship, just so you can be a little caught up on why they're even going to trial right now. So they met in 2009 on set of The Rum Diary, I believe was the movie they were filming. And then they started dating in 2012. They got married in 2015. And it was very short-lived, about 15 months. And then in 2016, they filed for divorce. Amber Heard filed for divorce and accused Johnny Depp of physically abusing her. So at this point, things really fell apart. There was a lot of things that were leaked on both ends. Um, and Amber Heard kind of, like, had an army behind her Mm -hmm. of supporters, as she should have at that time, but throughout the course of, what, it's been, like, six years since that came out, Mm -hmm. um, there's been a lot of things that have come out to kind of prove that maybe she was the abuser, and I do want to just, like, put a disclaimer really quickly that we're not sharing our opinions on this, we're simply just sharing the facts that we know so far yeah we're um completely like objective in this whole conversation we don't want to push our views we're not even going to talk about our views on the case and whose side we're on we want you guys to be able to have your own opinions on that 
we really want to focus on the mental health perspective of it. It's also a very sensitive topic because we are talking about the potential of a woman lying about being abused when she was the actual abuser and with the stigma that specifically women already have um it's just a very sensitive topic so we don't want to dive into our opinions on what's going on at all mm-hmm. revolving revolving around that whoever was the abuser if there was an abuser which i will share that there Obviously clearly there was. was if it's getting to this point um either way like something needs to be done so anyways basically what happened was they went through a couple different court cases for defamation and such um they had a seven million dollar settlement to their divorce where johnny paid her seven million dollars and she pledged all seven million dollars to two different charities um which it has come to light that not all of that money has been donated yet so that's a big piece of evidence I guess that they're using in the case basically the case is defamation on her part like she is committing defamation on Johnny Depp's character she's the one spreading potential lies and yes so she wrote a op-ed which is like an opinion-based piece. piece. And she was talking about the stigma around specifically sexual assault and domestic violence. Mm-hmm. And she pulled from her own experiences. So it was kind of obvious that she was talking about Johnny Depp, even though in their divorce settlement, they both, part of that settlement was that they cannot talk about what happened within their relationship. Yeah, exactly. So... Basically, the only thing that they have to prove is that she wrote the op-ed for him to win the case. But this is a very high-profile case. It's been going on for, like, almost a month now. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of people are just as obsessed as I am. So one thing that came to light during this case so far is that... um, So they each had a psychologist or a psychiatrist. I'm Mm -hmm. not sure which one. Psychiatrist can diagnose, psychologist can't, just so you know the difference. Um, so I think it was a psychiatrist. Yeah, well, they were, they were diagnosing, so I believe it was a psychiatrist. Yeah. Um, so on Johnny's side, his psychiatrist came out and said that Amber Heard shows a lot of signs of borderline personality disorder and histrionic personality disorder. And they were kind of using this to show that she must have been the abuser, is my understanding it's Mm -hmm. not a part of the trial that I actually watched it's just a part that I've seen clips of so I might be wrong but I do know that those are the two I'm out of breath (laughs) (laughs) I might be wrong but I do know that those are the two diagnoses that she gave her on the stand and BPD more so than histrionic because I feel like histrionic wasn't something that a lot of people talked about before this yeah um has a lot of stigma around it already and so that's why we wanted to talk about this because after this came out even more stigma although i i will say um i feel like histrionic even though it didn't have a stigma surrounding it as strong as bpd it definitely still has a lot of like misguidance because everything i'm seeing online describing histrionic is explaining it as a like 
more intense or like serious version of narcissism which yeah which is not accurate yeah at all they're not yeah which we'll we'll get into um but yeah so there's just there's a huge stigma for both of them really it's just histrionic isn't as well known i guess Mm -hmm. um a lot of people that i've talked to said they didn't even know what it was until they heard it in the trial whereas bpd is a little bit more well known so yeah we just kind of wanted to like help break the stigma and one of the reasons is that we both have been diagnosed with bpd so we're going to be pulling a lot from our own experiences i guess while talking about this Mm -hmm. and we do kind of want to make this a series where we talk more in depth about bpd and educate people again to break down the stigma more because it's really misunderstood mm-hmm. i feel like there's not a very um there's not a strong safe place um online or for podcasts it's not a very open topic when it comes to like um mental health anything other than anxiety or depression yeah. it gets or like even bipolar now there's a lot of discussion around it but other than those three, it's really hard to find a space where you can, like, listen and feel like you're part of, like, a community. Feel heard. Exactly. Where it's not negative or it's not, like, on TikTok, a lot of, like, people that are self-diagnosing or are young and have been diagnosed will put the negatives and a lot of, like, um, romanticizing where that's not a safe space right because it's constantly pointing out the negative mm-hmm. aspects of it which can kind of sink you back into those traits and qualities of that mindset where we want to embrace and like lift each other up and yeah you know we want this to be open we want you guys to feel safe we want to have like a raw discussion with you guys and answer a lot of the questions that we got we'll get to that at the end of the podcast as well yeah so um i think we should start by defining histrionic just because it's not really what we're yeah we'll get that out of the way exactly though i will just interject and say the reason that we are bringing up histrionic is because it was one of the diagnoses that um she got well the potential diagnosis that she got was histrionic and borderline personality disorder um i do want to stay say that it there is a lot of like um conversation on whether or not you can be diagnosed with both because they are so similar they are so overlapping they do stream uh, stream they do stem from the same place all the time and they have a lot of similar um ways of showing and expressing themselves the mm-hmm. disorders do um and the people that have the disorder obviously so to kind of just double diagnose that in such a short period of time is a little iffy mm-hmm. that's just, just me interjecting that so histrionic personality disorder or hb uh hpd is a mental health condition marked by unstable emotions a distorted self-image and an overwhelming desire to be noticed i think that that's the main difference between bpd and um, histrionic is that someone with histrionic personality disorder they're they just constantly need to be noticed they need to have attention far stronger than someone with bpd does and it's it stems from potential neglect as a child um constantly needing to go like not just like above and beyond like you're like 
it's not like a quirky like oh, i'm the middle child i need to like act out to get attention kind of thing it's like a very like you're completely neglected like mm-hmm. um up to the point of abuse sometimes um or you have a parent that's never home you have a parent that's too focused on a partner or something and you don't get the attention that you need so you feel like in order to get that attention and that love you have to be this exaggerated version of kind of everything you're doing yeah you have to go to the extremes exactly um i'm just gonna list off some traits um that someone with histrionic personality disorder would have i'm getting these online we're not experts um they are in the same we can get this later potentially in a different podcast what the clusters are on how they're um, categorized together histrionic is in the same cluster as bpd mm-hmm. so a lot of these symptoms we can like firsthand say that we experience yeah but since, since neither of us are diagnosed with this disorder i do just want to reference um i'm on like a clinic site right now so feeling underappreciated or depressed when they're not the center of attention rapid shifting shallow emotions being dramatic and extremely emotionally expressive even to the point of embarrassing friends or family in public, larger-than-life presence, um, over-sexualization, and kind of identifying their worth with their appearance and, like, sexual worth um, is a big one, which can arguably be, like, a a trauma response for, like, sexual abuse as a child and, like I said, neglect. But if you want, yeah, so that's, that's essentially that. That's all I'm really going to cover on that. Cause that's not what we're specifically talking about. Mm-hmm. If you want to kind of get into BPD, do you want to explain that one a little bit just more in depth? Okay. So I'm just going to read the clinical definition of borderline personality disorder. So you can see the difference from histrionic. Yeah. So BPD is a condition characterized by difficulties regulating emotions this means that people who experience BPD feel emotions intense. Oh my god, my eyes. Intensely and for an extended period of time. And it is harder for them to return to a stable baseline after an emotionally triggering event. So the main difference is that histrionic is more validation based, mm-hmm. whereas BPD is more emotion based, emotional regulation based. Yeah. So with BPD, I really want to explain how somebody might develop BPD just because if you can understand where it comes from, then that can help break down a lot of the stigma of them being these horrible people, these Mm -hmm. villains, if you will. So I learned all of this. This is literally just coming from my brain right now. (laughs) I have nothing in front of me. Um, I learned all of this in therapy They really like ingrained it into us what BPD is and how somebody can get it so that we could understand kind of where it was coming from and not blame others. That's a big part of recovery treatment. Treatment is a better word. So it goes off of what they call the biosocial theory. So there's two parts to it. The bio, which is the genetic aspect and the social, which is like the extrinsic factors, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, society, anything outside of you that could influence these behaviors, I guess. Yeah. So the genetic aspect is that anybody with BPD is just genetically predisposed to it. Um, BPD or any personality disorder, any mental health disorders, most likely run in your family 
which can be hard to prove because a lot of people with personality disorders go undiagnosed. It's very hard to be diagnosed with a personality disorder. Yeah, I just want to say, like, a good point to make is the difference between, like, other mental health issues or disorders like anxiety, OCD, even, like, mood disorders, like, bipolar. They can often be treated or, like, encouraged to be treated with um, mood stabilizers, antipsychotics, antidepressants, etc. Um, and they're arguably easier to notice because it's it's a lot easier to notice if you're having anxiety and panic attacks every day you know if you're having symptoms of OCD if you're like literally cannot get yourself out of bed because you're just clinically depressed whereas personality disorders are literally what they sound like it's personality disorders so especially when you're young it can look a lot of like a, a rotten kid you know like a yeah a bad behaved kid um oh they weren't raised well oh they they're attention seeking which I mean, they, it, they probably it, weren't raised well. <laughs> they probably were, and they probably were attention seeking at some point. Um, but but that's not them. That's the it's, disorder. It's, yeah, it's a trauma response. Essentially, it's just you. It's it's trauma, um, trying to get out, and it, it's the only way it knows how. And it's a yeah. lot easier. A lot easier. It's a lot harder to diagnose that and recognize that, especially whenever someone's younger, and then to like figure out which one of them they have yeah because there's so many and a lot of them overlap which we're going to talk about in a minute um so that's the genetic part of it you're genetically predisposed to be more emotional and it most likely runs in your family somewhere it doesn't have to specifically be be bpd but just mental health disorders in general yeah um and again that that isn't always part of the criteria because it's hard to prove that then the other part is the social part so in this part they used an example where you have you're born with celiac disease so you can't eat gluten and you're born into a family of bakers i know that just is probably really confusing just stay with me (laughs) it's to explain that you just don't fit with your family Mm -hmm. i like the example of your whole family is a puzzle. Each family member is a different puzzle piece and you're from a different puzzle. So you just don't fit with that family, but it doesn't mean that you're not made right. That's deep. But <laughs> so deep. I like that. Um yeah, that's just the example I like to use. I feel like it just fits better. So basically, what that means is that because you're a more emotional person, you're most likely born into a family that doesn't know how to process their emotions. Mhm. Maybe there was a lot of abuse and trauma that happened within your childhood. Um, A lot of the time, PTSD is another diagnosis that people with BPD have because most people with BPD have went through immense amounts of trauma. That's why it got to the point of a personality disorder. Yeah, exactly. So just to like understand that really helps to break down the stigma because then you understand that these people aren't just toxic Mm -hmm. like jesse said it's trauma responses it's just a broken person basically yeah trying to cope now it's all defense mechanisms yeah and with that being said we don't want to make it sound like we're um enabling or like allowing for it to be used as an excuse at the end of the day your actions what you do with your given life circumstances are entirely up to you so, yes, it might be harder 
in a lot of aspects of your life whenever you have a personality disorder like it might be with anxiety like it might be with a learning disability any other um, issue you have okay you you have to work harder in certain aspects Mm -hmm. like going to therapy like recognizing where this personality disorder affects you negatively and working on that and it sucks sometimes it's hard work it is and it sucks when not everyone understands because what's super easy to other people and non-triggering is triggering to you Mm -hmm. especially in this like environment almost with like social media where everyone's saying they're triggered over everything and Mm -hmm. it's just it's not it's a little deeper but at the end of the day, like, it's up to you what you do with your given circumstances, right? So, yes, you can have a trauma response. You can get angrier than someone else, for example. But that's not, like, a direct correlation to being an abuser. And just because you're an abuser doesn't mean you have a personality disorder or any other disorder, right? And it's I also want to say, yeah, exactly. That's what I was just going to say is that being mentally ill in any aspect yeah in any severity is not an excuse to be a shitty person exactly at the end of the day if you are being abusive it has nothing to do with your mental health diagnosis it has to do with the type of person you are and you need to look inward exactly the harsh truth it is the harsh truth okay so i'm going to list off the nine criteria for someone to be diagnosed with BPD, they have to exhibit at least five of these. This is not for you to self-diagnose. Yeah. Just so you know, if you resonate with any of this and you really feel like maybe you have BPD, then please go talk to a, prof- a professional. Go talk to a psychologist, a psychiatrist, your doctor. That's how I got diagnosed mm-hmm. is I went to my family doctor. Um yeah so please just do not self-diagnose yourself that could do way more harm than good so i'm just going to take jesse's phone because she has them listed here so the first one is a frantic efforts to avoid real or imagined abandonment so basically an intense fear of abandonment Mm -hmm. a pattern of unstable or intense interpersonal relationships characterized by alternating between extremes of idealization and devaluation so that's what we were talking about earlier with splitting mm-hmm. um it's very common for that to happen especially in romantic relationships where you split on the person again because you fear abandonment and so it's kind of just like a coping mechanism um persistently unstable self-image or sense of self so you might you just like don't know who you are but on another level like for example I recently figured out what my favorite color was but for the longest time I didn't even know what my favorite color was which is really sad to say because most people can say that my most feared question in interviews is tell me about yourself because I genuinely just don't know what to say Mm -hmm. because I don't know anything about myself (laughs) I I know, and, and I feel like everything so much feels so much deeper than it is. Like with the color thing, um, like picking shampoo. I like, like now I'm better at it, but like it would be hard to like, like oh, what color do you like the most? Like pick whatever you want, and I would always be like, okay, well this type of girl would pick yes. this one, this type of girl, and then it comes this like entire like 
characterization in your brain of what girl what category of girl do I fit into like what like and and it's like you're putting yourself in a box and it's, there really is no box it's you're creating these boxes and so you can't just like the color pink more and want that shampoo it's are you a pink shampoo kind of girl are you a purple are you a blue are you a black and then it constantly yes. changes I remember <laughs> this is just like a little weird anecdote I guess but mm. I remember when I was younger i don't know what age maybe like eight yeah when the cheetah girls came out whenever that was okay i was obsessed with the cheetah girls so was i and it was my whole identity was the cheetah girls was the cheetah girls to the point where my mom and i were going to a wedding and she was going to well she didn't know how to french braid so somebody else was going to french braid my hair and they asked me if i wanted one or two french braids and i was thinking back to the scene where they're having a sleepover and the one girl what had her hair french braided and I was trying to remember if she had one or two and I remembered her having one so I got one and then after I remember like I realized that she actually had two and I felt ugly the entire wedding because I didn't have two french braids like the cheetah girl did at her sleepover impulsivity in at least two areas that could be self-damaging so examples are spending sex substance abuse reckless driving binge eating this is where eating disorders come in a lot of people with bpd also have eating disorders Mm -hmm. recurrent suicidal behavior gestures or threats or self-mutilating behavior this is common in a lot of mental health issues though yeah it's just a very common issue that people have that's, I don't think, talked enough about in a serious light. I feel like a lot of people just kind of make jokes about it. Yeah. Which is really sad. Affective instability due to a marked reactivity of mood. So this is where you get episodic dysphoria, irritability, or anxiety. And it usually lasts a few hours and sometimes it can last up to a few days. Yeah. So this is where the biggest difference comes in between borderline personality disorder and bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. Is bipolar is characterized by longer periods of mania and depression. Mm-hmm. So your highs and lows, which you also get with BPD, but they're normally shorter periods of time. And there's normally, no, there always is something that triggers it. Mm-hmm. But it could be something as small as there you feel crumbs on your feet or something i don't know (laughs) something like really small and and the thing that's really small doesn't necessarily have to be the reason that you're like now in this dephoric state like you're not going to stay in this dephoric state because of that one specific thing but it could trigger exactly that dysphoria a lot of the time you don't really realize what has triggered you yeah whereas with bipolar disorder it's a chemical imbalance so it's going to happen regardless of what's happening in your life Mm mm-hmm that makes sense and then there's chronic feelings of emptiness um this is like a lot of people have a hard time being alone because when they're alone or boredom is a huge trigger for people with bpd as well because when you're bored you feel empty and someone with that uh, someone with this disorder that's constantly trying to avoid boredom that's when a lot of the reckless behavior can come in because okay what what's distracting you from boredom irresponsible behavior a lot of the time is what what happens and you're just so blinded and like um 
what's the word I'm looking for? Like tunnel vision on mm-hmm. escaping this boredom. Escapism. It's, yeah, they, it's escapism mm-hmm. in that you're making bad behaviors and you're not properly thinking them through because you 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 genuinely have this like tunnel vision. Yeah. Consequences, uh, like that. That's just not that's not in your peripheral vision at the time. Um, inappropriate, intense anger or difficulty controlling anger. Now this is the piece that like really hones in on that stereotype Mm -hmm. that people with BPD are abusive. It's not necessarily what it means. Um, I have anger outbursts when I'm feeling anxious or overwhelmed. It's not even directed at anybody. I'm just frustrated because Mm -hmm. I'm overwhelmed and it comes out in these angry outbursts. I've learned, I, I am still learning how to process that feeling in a more healthy way but it is a criteria yeah and then the last one is dissociation transient stress related paranoid ideation or severe dissociative dissociative symptoms this is one I didn't even realize I had until I was diagnosed and then I realized that I had been dissociating most of my life I don't even remember my childhood Jesse Mm -hmm. and I were talking about this earlier I don't remember half of what happened in high school like, we could be having a conversation, and Jesse and I, we've been friends since high school. Yeah. We could be having a conversation about something, and one of us remembers it clear as day, and the other person doesn't, because the other person was dissociated. Yeah. It's really sad. And it's, it's like, whenever it's big gaps at a time, like, it's years sometimes at a time. Like, there's, like, points in my childhood that, like, like three years, just, like, yeah. got, like, no memories. Like, literally no recollection at all. But all of these are coping mechanisms that just are presented in the wrong way i guess yeah i want to say normally whenever you're dissociating you don't remember years at a time you're dissociating because what was happening in those years something was was traumatic your body was trying your brain your body they were trying to protect you from whatever was happening around that time Mm -hmm. and so it just blocks out a whole period of time but um dissociation it's not just memory loss. It's not just like amnesia. It's more of like an out of body experience. That's how I experience it. At least mm-hmm. I normally like feel numb. It's almost like zoning out, but I, I hear that I've heard people say, and I, I find this is true for me. At least I can only speak on my experience. It's similar to zoning out, but zoning out is almost like a comfortable feeling. Like, yeah, if you zone out and you realize you're zoned out, a lot of the time people are like, Hmm. I don't want to get out of this. Whereas dissociation is scary when you realize that it's happening. Also, zoning out, the second you kind of realize you're zoning out... You can bring yourself back. Yeah, and when you're dissociating, you realize you're dissociating, you can't bring yourself back. It it just makes it worse. That's where, like, I'm sure you've seen TikToks of people being, like, looking in the mirror being like, am I real? And, like, this is what I look like. Like, that's that's dissociating in, like jovial kind of way I guess um yeah well I remember this like one one time what was whenever we were working together um before college and I remember I was looking at my hands this is like the the biggest sense of dissociation like I can think to I was looking at my hands and I was like these aren't my hands like and I was like having a panic attack because I, like, couldn't, like, I was looking at my hands, 
but not as if I was looking at my hands, as if, like, I was looking at myself, looking at my hands. Like, my body, my hands, like, they weren't mine. Like, I was in someone else. It's literally an out-of-body experience. Exactly. Yeah. It it almost felt like when you get too high. Yeah. too stoned, and you can't come down, minus the, the, the head spin and the stone part of it. It's, like, that, like, uncontrolled, like, you can't control your... Yeah. Your body. For sure. At least it feels like you can't. Obviously, you can't, but... Okay, do we want to get into the clusters Yeah, now? I'm going to kind of explain what the clusters are quickly. Um, I'm going to really focus on cluster B because that's the cluster that personality disorder and histrionic come in. They're in. They're in, yeah. Um, cluster A is... I'll, I'll read you the little... I, I pulled up a chart. I'll read you the little definitions underneath. Cluster A is odd thinking and eccentric behavior. And the three personality disorders in it are paranoid personality disorder schizoid personality disorder and schizotypical personality disorder and if you like notice they have a general theme mm-hmm. um cluster i'll do cluster b last because i'll explain that a little deeper cluster c is severe anxiety and fear avoidant personality disorder dependent personality disorder and obsessive compulsive disorder this obsessive compulsive disorder is not ocd it's separate this the the misinformation about OCD being control freaks and obsessively clean and the pencils can't be out of order. Yes, that can be symptoms of OCD, but obsessive compulsive personality disorder is where you would see those traits being uncontrollable. Mm-hmm. Like Sheldon from Big Bang Theory is a good example of someone with that doesn't have obsessive compulsive disorder. They have obsessive compulsive personality disorder. Um, and again, there's a general theme And then cluster B is dramatic and erratic behavior. It contains four um, compared to the other clusters that only have three. It has antisocial personality disorder, which is more known as sociopathy, sociopaths, Mm -hmm. um, narcissistic personality disorder, histrionic personality disorder, and borderline personality disorder. And they do share a general theme in overlapping symptoms. Because they're in the same clusters, all the clusters, personality disorders share overlapping symptoms. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is where BPD and histrionic get a really bad rep because it sounds scary to be put next to narcissism with all of the, um, the stereotypes that come with narcissism and then with antisocial personality disorder, which is portrayed as psychopaths that murder people yeah like dexter exactly (laughs) which is not a good representation of antisocial personality disorder and i do want to um point okay i want to make a point that um mood regulation is an issue for these four disorders in cluster b and they have issues regulating moods but it doesn't mean that it's the same way so if you have antisocial personality disorder and narcissism a key factor in those two is that they have Either they lack empathy or they have a hard time accessing their empathy. Mm-hmm. Whenever you get to um, borderline personality disorder and histrionic personality disorder, they have a hard time balancing their empathy because it's overbearing. A lot of the time with narcissism or antisocial, they didn't see empathy growing up. Yeah. They didn't. They're, they all stem from similar upbringings. But I it's guess you almost could say. different. Yeah. yeah, I want to say with histrionic, with 
narcissism with antisocial, especially histrionic and antisocial, it was almost like no one taught them empathy. They didn't see that. There was no nurturing. There was no emotion mm-hmm. instilled into them at that critical age. With BPD, um, it was almost like it was over-installed where you could be seven and you were in charge of your parents' emotions and they were confiding in you about uh, them being in an abusive relationship, them so etc. So you have this overbearing sense of empathy that you don't know what to do with. A lot of people with BPD were raised with narcissistic parents. Yeah. I think it could go two ways, too. It could also be, mm-hmm. like, we can get into covert incest. And oh, yeah. A whole other episode. Um, but if for people that, like, to quick definition, covert incest is, it's not literal incest. It's, it's not, no. Um, There's no sexual acts involved with covert no, incest. it's incest. whenever a parent um, doesn't, I mean, and it, it could be a single parent or it could be a parent in a relationship. Um, they don't put the needs that they should put on their partner, on their partner, they put it on their child. Emotional needs, specifically. emotional needs. So, if they're in a fight with their partner and you're six and they're mad that their partner cheated on them, they're telling their six-year-old, I don't know what I did wrong, like, why doesn't he love me, I don't know what to do. That's a law for a six-year-old, considering you don't understand the Mm -hmm. concept of love, cheating, all of that, and now you're in charge of your your dad or your mom's emotional state or a lot of the time parents will be like oh if I didn't have you if you weren't like this then I I would just die I can't live without you I can't live and you and feel that's a this, lot of pressure it's a lot of pressure and you feel this need to put your emotions away like a lot of the time when you at least for me um I feel like what brought on a lot of BPD, like, triggered it for me, was that I wasn't allowed to have an emotion of my own a lot of the time mm-hmm. when I was younger. It had to align with... Uh, yeah, it had to align with a parent's emotion because my having emotion... And this is not like I was having, like, tamper tantrums or anything. It was just general, like, emotions was too much for my parents. Well, you could argue, too, that, like, temper tantrums, like, it's emotional dysregulation, really, which I... I'm very much into um, gentle parenting, and mm-hmm. so I believe that tantrums are just emotional dysregulation that you have to help your child work through, yeah. but that's that's another topic. Um, but yeah, I was, I was raised very... Well, I was not raised similar to Jesse at all. We have a lot of... Differences. Differences in the way we were raised, but we also have, like, quite a few parallels where, uh, where I was very much the emotional stability in my family. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I was taught covertly <laughs> to hide my emotions in order to, like, make sure everybody else was okay. Yeah. And therefore, I never learned how to regulate my emotions Same. before if, I developed BPD. If I wanted um, an emotion to be heard, it needed to be, like loud plastered mm-hmm. on like freaking billboards like i had to get like rumors spread about me i had to have people get to get back to my parents i needed to like extreme otherwise they were so focused on what was going on in their lives and putting their emotions on me that i didn't get to have that emotion which is Unless like i pushed huge, it in their face yeah which is a huge parallel to the symptoms 
and the characteristics of BPD as well. So I don't know. That just like goes to show how somebody with BPD could be struggling and how they're like raised into this. I don't know what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Essentially when it comes down to BPD is it's trauma responses, right? Mm -hmm. So imagine, imagine that you're in your formative years, right? It's very important how you're raised, what you're taught. You're looking to your parents, your loved ones for knowledge on how to act in society and how to develop as a person now imagine whenever you're looking for knowledge on how to grow and how to live and how to basically formulate your brain at an early stage the people that are supposed to be helping you formulate that are looking for at you to help them and so instead of being taught and having your your mindset your brain properly developed you're getting kind of taught all these bad habits and then when you become an adult and you get diagnosed and now you're recognizing all these bad habits, this is like 20 years in the making and you're like, I didn't realize any of this stuff was not the norm. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize this was all like, oh, this this one symptom I have um, is affecting 20 different areas in my life that I didn't even realize it was. Yeah. And that's where you get into toxic relationships. So like I said earlier, um, most people with BPD were raised with a narcissistic abusive parent Mm -hmm. and so most people with BPD also get into abusive relationships with untreated narcissists as well Mm -hmm. and they just kind of go hand in hand a lot of the time and it's this constant cycle and it's because people with BPD most of the time are taught to put their emotions on the back burner and help other people through their emotions so they and they tend to gravitate and they tend to attract other broken toxic people Mm -hmm. and that's where the toxic relationships come into play not always abusive relationships but a lot of the time the person with bpd is the one being abused is the victim of the abuse not the other way around exactly it's really important to understand that Okay, I feel like we talked we a lot. Yeah, we definitely <laughs> dove deep into a lot of the characteristics and all of that. Um, we do want to touch on a lot of the positives about, or some of the positives about BPD. Because I feel like that was a lot to like lay down, especially for people that don't know heavy. about BPD. Yeah. It was really heavy, but, but that's fine because it's a heavy topic and you can't filter everything Mm -hmm. in your life some conversations are heavy some conversations are going to rub people the wrong way that's fine Mm -hmm. it's not not everyone was going to understand and every some people are going to judge and that's okay but we we should highlight some good qualities because we don't want this we don't want you guys to leave this podcast feeling just completely drained yeah you know we want this to be a safe space um we're, we're gonna go over some positives and then we're gonna get into the question and answers a little q a um that we got we posted on our instagrams on yeah our stories asking for some questions for um, those of you i mean for those of you who don't know <laughs> this is our <laughs> second episode this is the first time we've done it but this is something we want to start implementing is some questions at the end of every episode regarding whatever topic yeah So keep an eye out um, on our Instagrams. So let's get into the positives. So a a good one here is that they're very loving. 
this taps on what we were just talking about the yeah. opposite of abusive is that I feel like someone was I, I feel like I feel like I feel like it's hard because we're only talking about our our experiences but there's so many other people out there with BPD and yeah. there's so many ways to portray it when I'm saying I feel like it's because well that's that's, that's our experience yeah it's our experience we said it in unison <laughs> um it's our experience and I'm I'm assuming that other people are the same yeah yeah I would assume um that someone out there feels relatively similar to us um but very very loving because at least for me um especially when you you're constantly getting people's emotions pushed on you you have this like deep sense of empathy like we said you have so much empathy you don't know what to do with so and then even with the fear of abandonment, what that stems that stems from somewhere, right? You wouldn't fear abandonment if you didn't deeply care and love for the people around you. You wouldn't feel like the need to like keep them absurdly close to you if you didn't care. Yeah, and yeah, it it's not always portrayed in the best way, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, we can get clingy, I guess, but it's all stemming from a good place. I think for me, at least one of the biggest reasons I'm such a loving person and I would really do anything for the people I love, which I think is our next point that we wrote down anyways. Verbatim, (laughs) we'll do anything for the people they care about. (laughs) Is because um, feeling that intense worthlessness that comes with BPD and comes with trauma, I don't want anybody else to ever feel that way. And so if there's anything I can do in my power to make sure people feel the way I feel about them, about themselves, I'm going to do that. Yeah. Another one, it's kind of in the same category as being really understanding and sympathetic because I feel like whenever you have a personality disorder, you've you've just been predisposed to seeing people at their worst a lot of the time, seeing yourself at your worst. You're mm-hmm. a lot more sympathetic of things other people might not be. Yeah. Um, especially if you grow up in a chaotic household. And a lot of the time that can involve growing up around addicts. Um, you kind of understand things on an interpersonal level. Other people would just judge. Yeah, for sure. Another good thing is ability to speak their mind. Um, which is true because people with BPD can be... Not everyone. Depends how you portray it and project it but rather bold I know when I was young this was something I like had issues with was just like being like overly bold and not being able to keep my opinion to myself mm-hmm. you've literally you've literally said this you've been like I can't bite my tongue yeah I remember like in high school you would just you, you couldn't like keep the thought to yourself I think it's really important to be able to like speak your mind and just be passionate. I guess that's basically, yeah. like, people with BPD are normally very passionate people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Another one we have here is creative. Um, high, intense emotions turn into creative endeavors, which is true when you have all that emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really, that's that's something to say, too, is that if you have a lot of emotions and you don't have a creative outlet, you should find one. This is yeah. one for us, is our podcast. Yeah. We also both like to write. I recently got into painting and I'm obsessed with it. Mm -hmm. It's not a hyperfixation. It's actually something that I've been holding on to. You're actually really good at it. Thank you. (laughs) 
she is really good at it. Um, not even saying that as a friend. It's it's like really good. I saw her first painting and I was like, she told me I need to was, sell it. Yeah, <laughs> you do. I had made a painting and I was like, oh, I'm just such a good artist. This is so great. And then I saw yours and I was humbled. Oh, that makes me feel thoroughly good. Thoroughly humbled. <laughs> that feeds into the god complex. <laughs> <laughs> the ego is just growing. Uh, the last one we have here is strong and resilient, and that one's a given if you go through so much abuse and trauma at an early age, and your entire life is just a series of trauma responses. Once you come to terms with that, and you accept that, and that sounded so depressing, oh my god, and work through that um, to be a better, healthier version of yourself, you're pretty freaking strong and resilient. Yeah. Yeah. And even if you're not, even even if you're not at that point, and you're still struggling, you're still so strong and resilient because you're sitting there in that struggle still alive yeah like that is such a huge win i feel like it's time that we get into the questions and answers this is being a it's getting a little long on this yes. podcast we've been and ranting a lot <laughs> we've been trying to record this podcast since like 2 p.m today and it right now it's going on 1 a.m you guys yeah. Mind you, I had to go back to work for like a, a period like a period of like five like, hours. This was supposed to be edited and posted Today. thirty minutes ago. <laughs> we were going to we, I really wanted to try to start posting them every Thursday. Every Thursday at midnight. And yeah, and um we were gonna film it tomorrow, but then Sarah texted me and she's like, We have to film it tonight. We're staying we on have track. To because we're taking this seriously for you guys, so and we are, I am exhausted. <laughs> Me too, but. Not complaining. It's worth just it. Just acknowledging. Yes. Okay, so let's get into the questions so we can wrap this up. We got a few. So someone asked me to talk about FPs, which is um, favorite persons, favorite people, a favorite person, mm-hmm. uh, mood swings, and the anger irritation part of it that I don't think is often spoke about. Uh, the anger irritation we covered. Mm-hmm. Um, favorite person do you want to touch on that a little bit? Okay, yeah. So, this kind of ties in, I think, to the um, identity issues, Yeah, I guess. Um, so, whenever you have BPD, it's very typical to cling on to someone, and you call we call that person your favorite person. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be a romantic partner. No. It can be a totally platonic relationship, but it is often a romantic partner yeah and it is often not the best person to cling on to it can be a toxic relationship i've never had a favorite person as a romantic partner they've always been friends yeah i think sarah can like i've had both um and i can definitely attest to the fact that it literally feels like someone's dying when you cut ties with them yeah it is absolutely excruciating but it is the best thing for you most of the time because your entire identity it relies on that person basically and in a normal healthy relationship like friendship there's boundaries obviously often with favorite people your favorite person there's no boundaries there's no boundaries exactly so let's say you're a healthy person and you realize that your friend with bpd or your girlfriend with bpd has I've not claimed you as her favorite person because that's not how it works. You don't you just as their own. You don't just decide this is my favorite person. It's n- more subconscious than that. Yeah. 
But let's say you've realized that you think you are somebody's favorite person and you want to make sure that it doesn't go the unhealthy route. It's really important to establish boundaries with the person with BPD and stay true to those. And it's also important for you as a person with BPD, if you're at that point where you're self-aware enough to realize this is happening, to also set boundaries and stay true to them. Um, A lot of the time you become codependent, but like to an extreme Mm -hmm. and you put your self-worth on this person's image of you. And that doesn't necessarily mean that their actual image is what matters. It's your perceived image that they have of you. So if they look at you the wrong way, you might perceive that as they think you look disgusting that day and then you might want to change your whole look. Like it's 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 an extreme for a lot of people. Yeah. And it's not the healthiest thing. It's just a part of having BPD. But once you become more self-aware of your symptoms and your signs, your warning signs of this kind of thing happening, you can stop it in its tracks. And it's really important if you have BPD to learn proper boundaries it is so vital because Mm -hmm. when you even if it's subconscious you you notice that you're um you're developing a favorite person it's good at the beginning of it to have a strong sense of boundaries and you can start to put them in place which can kind of prevent that from happening or becoming a toxic friendship or relationship it's really hard for it to reach a codependent state if you have proper boundaries it's really hard for it to reach um the point of it being like when you guys are not together it's like unbearable if you have boundaries Boundaries. yeah and maintain especially if it's a relationship that if especially if you're someone who's prone to find their romantic partners as their favorite person to have your own life separately Mm -hmm. not to be over don't move in with them quickly and it could be really hard you notice you yeah and that can be really hard to do mm-hmm. when realizing that you have a favorite person because everything in you your instinct is to cling on to that person yeah. and be with them at all times and if you're not with them you're texting them at all times and just to know and have it in the back of your head that that is not a healthy relationship yeah is so important i also want to like specify a little more because this is like an extreme yeah because we i'm i'm like as we're talking i'm like we sound like we're each other's favorite person because me and sarah will be like we're twin flames which is one soul and two bodies and (laughs) i say that with like so many boundaries and we call each other on our shit we've gone time like periods of time with not not any time not within the last couple years but we've gone like a couple months without talking previously we we have a very healthy and loving relationship and if sarah says i can't facetime you i'm busy with my other friends i'm not gonna have a mental breakdown Mm -hmm. you know where if you have a favorite person if they have other friends that can just set you off because they want to replace you yeah that's your thought process it's not loving your best friend so much and having a connection with them it's essentially you putting all of your self-worth into that one person and kind of overseas oversteps overseas Mm -hmm. friendship 100 percent. it's almost like your identities become one which as i'm saying that i realize that's kind of what a twin flame is as well (laughs) but again to an to an unhealthy extreme if we want to get on a spiritual level unless on a psycho like 
analytical level if we're talking about twin flames we're one soul and two bodies and each of our bodies has its own ego if you're in a if you're like you have a favorite person it's, it's entirely your yeah. brain it's your ego and also with your favorite person that is the person that you tend to split on um so like jesse said your favorite person might say i can't facetime right now i'm having a drink with a friend and you could split on them and be like, you don't give a shit about me. You never did. And just go, like, I don't want to say batshit crazy because that's stigmatizing. Yeah. But you know what I mean. And I do want to say, like, I have never had a favorite person that ended in a good way. I'm sure other people have hopefully had healthier I have not. experiences. <laughs> but every single favorite person I have had has ended in... Disaster. In... Um blocking in complete like shut out of my life yeah no contact yeah it's this is the same with me mm-hmm. can you uh can you please talk about the struggles around identity and security and folks with bpd so we already touched on this a little bit but the struggles with identity are really like like i said like you just don't know who you are at like the very base of the statement like you don't know what your favorite color is you don't if you're asked the question like tell me about yourself you literally don't know what to say other than like your career if you have kids how old you are where you're from other than that you don't know who you are you don't know what you enjoy you don't know what you dislike you don't know what your values are um and it's really like becoming self-aware again i have a really good um this just came to me okay go ahead so someone with lbpd is a rock and they're solid and everyone hundreds of people can come and pick up that rock they're solid you cannot squeeze this rock and mold it unless the rock you know wants you to mold it you know whatever Clay, on the other hand, if you have a ball of clay, every single person that picks up that clay is going to reshape it. And the clay just takes the shape of every single person that picks it up. Every that's single person. Thank you. Right? <laughs> I thought that was, that's a really good analogy. Every person that touches you, like, spiritually, mentally, is everyone that comes into your life and has somewhat of an impact, even if it's so small, they're reshaping someone with BPD. Because you don't have that, you're you're not this. You're not the same as as someone who's a rock. You're not the same as being insecure. Being insecure, being secure with yourself. Yeah. Where you can have a bunch of people come with opinions and just all of that stuff, and you can just be solid in who you are and sure of yourself and unaffected. Mm-hmm. You're constantly being molded, and a lot of the time you don't even realize it's happening. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think you just summed it up. Yeah. Okay. Next question. Naturally. <laughs> What is the treatment for BPD? Okay, so BPD is treated specifically with therapy. You cannot be treated with medication. You can treat symptoms. So for me, a huge symptom of my BPD is anxiety. Yeah. And so I have been prescribed medication for anxiety, and I've also been prescribed medication for depression. Mm -hmm. But my depression, that's... I also have a clinical depression diagnosis. Yeah. Even though it's also a symptom of BPD, it's just like 
taken on a character of its own, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) So you can treat symptoms with medication, but to actually treat BPD, you need therapy. You need to go through DBT. Mm -hmm. I, I just completed DBT and basically you go through mindfulness, emotional regulation, interpersonal communication and relationships and distress tolerance. Mm -hmm. So they really cover every aspect of BPD and how to tolerate and cope with it. They go super in depth with all of these things. The amount of self-discovery that happened through this therapy, like I found out things about myself that I didn't even realize were issues Mm -hmm. that arose from my BPD. Yeah, our next question is how can I help my girlfriend who has BPD? So, like we were talking about earlier with favorite person, which I'm not saying that you are your fa- your girlfriend's favorite person, but just in general, having a relationship or friendship with someone with BPD, boundaries are so important. I also think it would be so helpful to her to know that you understand so just the fact that you're listening to this podcast this episode like tell her that let her know that like you're putting in work to understand what she's going through Mm -hmm. that's something that as someone with bpd i feel misunderstood a lot of the time by the people around me so to just do your own research about it and trying to understand where she's coming from Trying to understand her triggers, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing can be really helpful. And literally just asking her, like, she might not know what you can do to help at this point, but just having that open dialogue with her and letting her know that you are there and being supportive of her emotions is huge. Even if she's like having an emotional outburst, I guess you could Mm -hmm. say. Um, for me, it really helps having somebody who's like a calm in my storm yeah. to be like, okay, hey, let's take a step back. I think something else is happening and just not taking everything to heart as hard as that is. A lot of the time, whenever you're having all of these thoughts and all these emotions um, and something triggers something, it's hard to process what's coming from where, where whenever you have someone, um, a third party person like okay i feel like this is probably not about this i feel like this is probably about something deeper let's talk let's breathe and it can help you find your find your actual thoughts and find like where this issue that you're having in the moment is stemming from Mm -hmm. it's harder to find within whenever you're kind of just spiraling definitely yeah the the last question we have which after this question we're gonna sum up this podcast Mm -hmm. so we're coming near the end (laughs) the um the last question we have is is b i feel like this is a kind of two questions in one Mm -hmm. is bpd a permanent diagnosis or is it something that can be brought on by our environment we did touch on how you get bpd the two aspects environment is a big one and yeah it's permanent um it's a personality disorder. You're always gonna have it. Yeah. It's it's a trauma response. It's it's in, it's in, it's ingrained in you. It's treatable, but it's not curable. 
exactly there's there's things um with that like um symptoms on the the nine signs of mm-hmm. bpd that were so overbearing and hard for me to function with like five years ago that now i i don't relate to don't actually think about it's not like they're not issues for me yeah so you can overcome a lot you can start out with like nine of nine symptoms like we did yeah and then you could go down with three yeah you can you, you can grow and you can balance it and you can live with it the key is that you can't get comfortable with it you know it sucks but you can't use it as an excuse and you have to constantly be going to therapy or working on it on your own or have um safe people around you to help you with it mm-hmm. but um y- yeah unfortunately you're kind of you're stuck with it it's, what was the second part of that question again it's uh or is it something that can be brought on by our environment okay yeah i just wanted to know the wording about that again because it's not necessarily brought on but it can definitely be exacerbated by your environment so you may have been treated for your bpd like i just finished my six month program and i'm doing really well right now but in a year from now i might be in an environment that is more toxic and unhealthy and all my symptoms could come rushing back. So it's really important to remember that too and remember what your triggers are and understand that your triggers can also change and to recognize what's going on around you Mm -hmm. and know like, okay, that might trigger me and I'm in a good place right now. So maybe let's not do that thing or maybe let's cope ahead before doing that thing that I... That is inevitable. And at the end of the day, there is things you need to do. You need to be functioning in society and have a job. What job you have, that's up to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to go out into the world and socialize. You need to have an active life. But you you put your mental health first. It's fine to put your well-being first. If you're surrounded by people that you constantly have to, like, talk yourself into activities because it's making your bpd worse then you should reevaluate the people you have around you 100 percent. because you don't need to force yourself into situation you don't need to force yourself to be okay and calm and go through all of this stress just to be okay to do something mm-hmm. most of the stuff you should be doing shouldn't give you this level of stress and just know that If you're in an environment right now where, or in a part of your life right now where everybody around you makes you feel anxious, makes you feel like you're struggling, makes you feel worthless, just know that doesn't have to be your reality. Yeah. I had the realization during my last session and I cried (laughs) during it because I realized that anybody who made me feel bad about myself, they're not in my life anymore. And... I'm surrounded by people that I don't need to question their motives. Mm-hmm. I don't need to question if they actually care about me, if they actually love me, because they show me it every day. And I know that they care about me unconditionally, and I'm getting emotional again. Oh. Um, <laughs> so I just want to know, like, there is hope. And if right now all you can muster up is the energy to get out of bed, that's okay. But it will get better. Mm-hmm. You just need to put the work in. Yeah. 
I feel like that's a really good note to end this on. I think <laughs> that is. We we hope you guys enjoyed this episode with us. It was a deep one, especially for the second episode. We hadn't planned to get into some heavy topics quite so soon, but with the Amber Heard and Johnny Depp trial, we figured that it's good to talk about it while it's out in the open and yeah. I don't want to say trending, but that's kind of what it is. It's being heavily talked about right now. But yeah, thank you guys so much for listening and um, don't be shy. Let us know what topics you want to talk about. If there were any questions you guys had that we didn't answer, feel free to shoot us a message either on Sarah's Instagram, mine, our podcast Instagram. Um, we are going to make the BPD talk a series. If there's yeah. any like big topics that you want us to cover... Um, that you feel like should be worth an entire episode let us know as well we Mm -hmm. always do our research it's not always just formulated in our opinions for sure yeah and with that we're gonna end it here and we're gonna i was gonna say have a good night but it's not gonna be night when you're listening to this we're gonna have a good night (laughs) we're gonna gonna go to to bed (laughs) and thank you guys so much for listening we're really glad that we get to share this space with you and start this journey with you guys yeah yeah so we will talk to you guys next week tune in for our next episode